Hey everybody, today's episode of Shoppernomics is brought to you by Decision Breakers, experts in behavior-based shopper strategy, insights, and activation. Visit www.decisionbreakers.com to learn more and see how they can help you win the war in store. Welcome to Shoppernomics, the podcast for marketing and insight professionals who want to stay current on the latest understanding of consumer behavior and decision-making. My name is Phil McGee, and my guest today is Charles Spence, professor of experimental psychology and head of the Crossmodal Research Laboratory at Oxford University. Charles recently published a paper titled On the Multiple Effects of Packaging Color on Consumer Behavior and Product Experience in the Food and Beverage and Home and Personal Care Categories. It's a rather extensive review of how color influences consumer perceptions and decision-making and will help marketers and designers think more strategically about the color choices they make for their packaging. It's a pleasure to have you join us today, Charles. Welcome. Thank you. So, Charles, can you, um, can you build on my introduction and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Okay, so uh, I'm head of the Crossmodal Lab here in Oxford, uh, where I have been for 20 years. I am a psychologist by training, interested in the senses, how we see, hear, touch, taste, and smell the world around us, um, and in particular in trying to take the latest insights from neuroscience, from psychological science, and apply them to the design of real-world products, packages, technology, experiences, and so on. So this work on um, packaging color really fits in there. Um, thinking about how what we see on the package influences our behavior, our perception, and our experience of the other sensory attributes or whatever might be inside uh, that package. That's terrific. And um, I understand that you just uh, recently published a book called Gastrophysics, um, and, and in fact, it won the, uh, the Book of Year Prize. It's a short list, down to the last three, so I can tell you in a couple <laughs> of weeks whether it wins it or not. Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, that just came out, and that's uh, kind of called the new science of dining. And the focus there is really on kind of restaurant meals, uh, on fine dining, and trying to take the insights from the world's top chefs, but apply them to mainstream. Uh, and for me, I think it just illustrates uh, a very close connection between the work that we do on the visual aspects of packaging design on the one hand, mm. and on the other, the visual design of plates, plating, and plateware in a restaurant context. And we can switch back and forth, taking insights from one sector and applying them to the other. That's really fascinating. I'm interested in your perspective on the importance of context when people are doing taste testing. Um, you know, in our case, we would do it in somewhat of a laboratory setting. Um, you know, kind of a, a room with walls and maybe maybe some windows, but it was a fairly sanitized environment. I imagine in 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 your research, you try to do things more in context, as you suggested. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right. Uh, I mean, we do have um, laboratory set up for very carefully controlled psychophysics or sort of a consumer testing, sensory testing as well. But whenever and wherever we get the chance, uh, our aim is to kind of go out into the wild to bars, restaurants to test people on the street, in the home. Um, and a lot of our research uh, is about demonstrating the impact of the context on what we taste what we choose and what we perceive about what we've chosen uh, uh, to eat and drink uh, and really um, looking at how uh, a great number of then these high-end Michelin-starred San Pellegrino-listed world's top chefs are now understanding the importance of context of, of the off-the-plate dining they'd call it uh, and trying through technology to, to you know, 
from course to course in a tasting menu to take the diners through different scenarios with different visuals, with different sounds, different temperature and smells, all based on the growing understanding now that it can uh, change uh, what we perceive, how much we enjoy, uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, that's not to say I do when I go to many sort of food and drinks companies will we'll sort of you know, rally against too much of this kind of uh, the, the rabbit hutch testing mentality of the white queue with a little, a little slot and, and, and serving the drink under red lighting so you can't see it right. without the packaging. And I say that's just not how it is. And so much of our research is, is focusing really not on product formulation because we're not experts in that in any way, shape or form, but thinking about how the package influences and changes your experience of the contents. And when you see the amount of evidence that's coming uh, out um, demonstrating that changing the, the packaging colour, its weight, its texture, its sound, how much that can change what people say about the taste say what's inside or the smell of a hand washing solution then you realize it just makes no sense from one perspective at least to test the product in the absence of its packaging away from its brand name and, and obscuring its color and other kind of key sensory attributes that's actually a good leading because that's that's in part of what we're going to talk about today so so let's go ahead and get started and perhaps we could begin by telling us why did you choose this topic of the the, the color effect um, was there a burning question in your mind or was there something else that inspired it? No, no, in a way, most of my research for the last 20 years has really been to get away from the visual. Uh, what a package sounds like is really important, what it feels like is so important too. Uh, why don't people spend more time thinking about and designing for the, the non-dominant sense? Um, so I've really kind of avoided visual aspects of design uh, to some degree, but now we're coming back to look at those. Uh, and the particular interest in colour, I guess, comes in a way, we've, we've been doing 15 years of research coloring foods and drinks with industry um, and also working with chefs to either uh, miscolor foods or drinks or, or, or uh, and so on. And so we've been very interested in the color of food and how that can change the taste and how you can convince the wine expert that the red wine, that the white wine that they're actually drinking smells and tastes like a red wine with a bit of red food dye. Um, and from there, thinking about the product in isolation, the color of the food or drink, we've kind of gone to the next step and say, okay, what about the color of the packaging? Uh, does it have an influence? Does the color, does changing the color of the pack, say, have as much influence on the consumer perception as changing the color of the product would have? Um, and how do those two things interact? Either when you say maybe eat the product in pack, think of, you know, a bag of potato chips, um, and you're eating them from the bag sometimes, and uh, also how what happens when you start introducing transparent windows into packaging mm -hmm. and you can and then you've got various questions pop up about not only the color of the product but it, the color of the packaging and how the two interact and what that says to the consumer both sort of semantically in a kind of a high level way but also in a, a low level perceptual way and uh, i think it's a great area for that probably hasn't been i mean obviously I, the marketers have known for, uh, for for decades that you can use color and visual design to stand out on the shelf. What I think has been less well understood, although people like Louis Cheskin in the 30s were, and 50s were kind of onto this, that when you change the color of a can, it would, people would say the contents of the 7-Up tasted different, mm. add more yellow to the can, and suddenly the 7-Up tastes more lemony. Um, uh, Coke had something similar a few years ago with their white can. Um, and, and this is kind of the new area, I think, is to, to, to realize that Simply by changing the color of the can, you can change people's perception of the taste of the contents. 
interesting. Contents haven't changed, just yeah. the colour of the can. Uh, and it's that interaction, that perceptual interaction, I think, that is, uh, is, is our particular focus and one that perhaps the marketers haven't really realised the full extent to which uh, the package influences the, the product perception. In your paper, you cited other research that found color drives between 62 and 90% of in-store purchasing decisions. Is, is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the research we found. It's always, always in a way, but everyone loves the statistic. <laughs> of course. <laughs> or maybe I, 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 I'm no worse or better than anyone else in that regard, so we didn't collect that data. Yeah. And what's always sort of, you know, we, love the, we love the numbers, we love the percentages, and quite how you really quantify that thing, I, I'm not sure, but I think it certainly fits with many experts intuitions in this space and it's I mean, the very few packs that make a noise on the shelf there are very few packs that you can feel of course until you pick them up so it really it is vision that you've mostly all you've got to go on in the first instance right now i know that wasn't your work but mm-hmm. but in your opinion how how should we interpret that because i can interpret that in one of two ways and and i, and I want to be more clear mm-hmm. so i can look at it at face value and say that between 62 and 90 percent of the time product decisions are made in store color plays a key role in that decision process. Or I can say 62 to 90% of the time, shoppers use color to both locate products they've already decided to buy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and make new product decisions. In other words, is, is too much credit given to color as a decision-making variable or did they get that right? So I think um, it's certainly true that we humans, we consumers are visually dominant creatures that far more of our brain or of our cortical real estate, as I would call it, is given over to processing what we see than to anything else. You know, it's 55% of the brains are sort of, uh, primarily involved in vision compared to you know, 10, 15% for hearing and touch and one or 2% of the brain uh, initially working on smell and taste. So vision is always going to win out at some level and vision's especially good at those, you know, what is it and where is it um, kind of judgments, the identification. So in a sense, I think that it's the market almost uh, playing on or responding to the facts of our brain organization uh, in a way. So it sort of makes sense. Uh, and yet I think that uh, because we are visually dominant creatures, we think visually, that means there is maybe a missed opportunity for the other senses. If everyone's thinking about their visual design, their logos and their labels, and no one's thinking about what their things sound like, mm then you've got an opportunity to, to have a, maybe some big wins uh, outside of um, vision. And, that, and that, vision, that visual dominance, I think, is, um, it, 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 it can be subdivided into different effects. Like we see that, obviously, there are some brands who've managed to establish their signature colour, that when you see that unique hue, you immediately think of Cadbury's Dairy Milk, say, with a purple uh, and so on. But far more often, I think the colour is used in this kind of interesting category specific ways so if you take something like the color red what does that mean to the consumer well it kind of depends which aisle you're in if you're in the milk it means one thing about low fat or half fat if you're in, in the meat aisle it means something else if it's uh in soft drink something else again so it's this really interesting color clearly does drive our behavior most often to tell us about the the, the identity of the flavor or give some information um but that 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 meaning changes aisle by aisle so how does a brain work on that and how can a marketeer almost design knowing this kind of contextual uh, shift in, in the meaning of color? It goes back to the gastrophysics, right? Context mm-hmm. is, is very important. Before we get into the various roles that color plays, can you talk about the three factors that you mentioned that influence customers' reactions to color? Um, you mentioned physiological, associational, 
and cultural. Uh, can you okay. talk about those and yep. elaborate on each? Um, so again, this is not a uh, uh, kind of listing. It goes back. Uh, Thomas Hine talks about it in the total package and various other people in the decades before. Um, and I think the sort of the, the first one, the physiological way that colors can affect us, uh, there certainly are such effects. And one might think currently of things like the blue of dawn. If you put that something like 520 nanometers blue light, it's the same blue of dawn all over the world. It's different from the blue of afternoon sky. And when our brains see that particular wavelength, we kind of become more alert. We get ready for what we think is the day ahead. So that's a direct physiological effect. We don't need to learn it, I don't think, necessarily. Uh, it may be hardwired. It affects us all the same way. Similarly, maybe you know, there's sort of pinkish hues, a bubblegum pink that's kind of like the Baker Miller pink that's meant to calm you down if you're in a police cell. Uh, and it's also kind of the pink, I think, of, of skin hues. And again, that's a, a, a real primitive physiological response. And each and every one of our brains is given over to processing those pinky red hues. Uh, I don't see them necessarily playing out in packaging. So if you put your packaging in the blue of dawn, I'm not convinced it would necessarily wake people up. Maybe it has to be kind of ambient illumination. Um, so I think what's more important really are um, the associational uh, and to a certain extent the cultural meanings of colour. Mm. Uh, the cultural ones would be, for example, uh, that maybe in the UK, North America, I guess, and some other parts of the world that orange, oh sorry, that um, uh, certain colours will be, will be associated with, um, with, with, with death or with joy. And so if you take something like uh, Cadbury's Dairy Milk with their distinctive purple hue for their packaging, the, the, so the story goes, and this comes from Rick's book on big business blunders from 1983, <laughs> that when they went to um, try to launch Dairy Milk in uh, Japan, it kind of failed. So, well, possible explanation is because of the cultural differences in the meaning of colour. The purple was a colour associated with funerals and death mm. in Japan. So you can't put a pa some package of product in that. That's kind of the cultural meanings. And it's the associational ones, I think, that we learn through experience in the marketplace are really the key ones. If you think about you know, full fat, half fat, um, no fat milk, what colour should you and yet, if you look in different markets, you find red, blue, and green, maybe the colours, at least in the UK, one colour associated with each uh, fat level in milk. It's kind of an arbitrary link, because no fat milk isn't neither red nor green nor blue. And yet, through the consumer's repeated experience and exposure in the marketplace, they learn that association, and then use that colour as, you know, almost a not quite subliminal, but almost an automatic cue, so they can almost decide what they want without having to look and process too much too many of those thousands or tens of thousands of products that are ever shifting uh, in position and perhaps in design uh, on uh, the shelves for a new player in a, in a market. Say, if I'm going to launch my own cheese and onion crisps brand, what colour should the packaging be for cheese and onion? Uh, well, maybe I look in the marketplace and see what the convention for the category is. Uh, maybe it's green for cheese and onion, blue for salt and vinegar, uh, and normally part of the part of the purpose of the paper is to say normally it makes sense to go with the conventions of the category but if you do that while the consumer will find it easy to interpret what your package means the danger is your package won't stand out in amongst all the other brands who are using the same conventional color scheme so there's kind of a tension there between capturing the attention of the consumer through color um, and, and also conveying the right kind of meaning that's helpful to kind of think about those three spheres of influence, mm. but also the fact that 
the kind of the associative uh, influence is really the most uh, or factor. I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's probably the most important of the three. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and then maybe I, 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 mean, I might just add to that the fact that um, coming as a psychologist to this. Uh, I, I sort of mentioned a number of the, the earlier marketing papers on the meaning of colour, um, and I do sort of worry that what one often finds in the academic journals or the marketeers saying in the UK purple means X, Y, and Z, mm. black means A, B, and C, um, and, they, uh, and they're always assessing colour in the absence of any context. Yes, it's just a colour patch, or maybe even just a colour word, and I want to say that maybe that's got some use. But really, you need to assess the color in context, be it the context of the aisle, of the packaging shape, or, or, or in order to know how the consumer will interpret that thing. It's always, I think, mediated by the context. It's never a pure response to color. Kind of building on those points, I want to talk a little bit about the, the multiple roles that color can play on packaging. Um, in, your, in your paper, you talk about five roles. You, you say that color can capture attention in store. It, it can communicate branding by use of signature colors, and you mentioned mm-hmm. the, the Cadbury example. It can convey information about a, um, a product's sensory properties, like mm-hmm. taste, taste and flavor expectations. Um, it can prime abstract brand attributes, like like being premium or being healthy or something something along mm-hmm. those lines. And uh, and importantly, it can also affect how consumers experience products, and, and that was fascinating, um, by influencing how food and beverages taste or the mm-hmm. fragrance of personal care products. So I, I want to talk a little bit about some of these roles, beginning with the attention in store. Um, you talked about that tension between standing out on shelf and, uh, and, and at the same time trying to be congruent with category conventions mm-hmm. uh, or shopper expectations. If you were a, a marketer designing a package or, or a designer, how do you think about achieving the right balance, or, or do you have to choose really one or the other? Um, I, if I just look in the marketplace over the last few years, uh, I do see a few successful examples of going against the category or the shopper convention um, for the meaning of color. Um, but I also see many, many failures. So I think Normally, the advice has to be to go with the convention of the category, um, but uh, you can, if you do it very carefully, go against. And, I, and the successful examples that have gone against uh, the category norm, I think, then are interesting. How did they manage to do it? What's common about those things? I think you might think of something about uh, Gatorade and kind of the blue, kind of the electric blue color of the drinks that was launched, I think, back in 1995. That kind of stood out on the shelf and amongst all the fruit flavored drinks. I'm thinking of uh, Alpin uh, from Nabisco launching their kind of muesli back in the 1970, beginning of the 1970s and going for black in amongst all the white morning uh, cereal colors or, or, or the ones that one we've, we've studied in detail is in fact Walkers, which um, kind of the, the, one of the big crisp brands or potato chip brands, I should say, here in the UK. Um, who actually go against the uh, conventions of the category. So while most 19 out of 20 of the brands of, of potato chips you can buy in the UK go with, um, I was getting confused, I think it's green for salt and vinegar and blue for cheese and onion. Walkers do the opposite. <laughs> and you go, what's going on there? I, 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 I guess I remember when it changed back in 1983. And it's kind of a bit hard to find that, that stuff. And what we, we in a way wanted to do was, was, was um, tap implicitly into people's color flavor associations crisps and by so doing we imagine we could find out how old you were 
by seeing whether you were, you know, you were, you were around before 1983. Um, <laughs> and there you think, well, what is it? How, does, how have Walker's managed to do it? Uh, whenever now so many others have failed, and it seems partly it's their kind of a cheeky, a fun brand, um, maybe a serious, staid, conformist brand couldn't do this so easily. Maybe it's partly that they had a sort of dominant market position. Um, and initially, if you go back into the history, you say, why did they do it in the first place? It turns out I think they, they had the new flavour variety, which I think was cheese and onion, mm-hmm. uh, and they wanted people to try it. So they realised that if they switched the colour of the packages, they knew the shoppers would go into the supermarket, buy based on the colour of the packet. Then they get home and go, oh, that's not what I wanted. Mm. But you've got that first exposure. It's a really dangerous strategy, but somehow they managed to pull it off. I think they're a really nice case study of how it can be done. But so many of the times you see it, it, it fails. I see you know, there's um, one brand of white wine uh, that's called Red. And it has a red label, <laughs> and it stands in the white. It does stand out in the white wine aisle. But I think that's going to fail. Mm. Um, you think of uh, Heinz ketchup, uh, and some people think, seem to think when, when they coloured it blue and green and purple back in two thousand and one. Right. Uh, and some would say that's brilliantly successful. That you know, the point one percent of food colouring, they could get a seven percent increase in market share in a very slow moving category. Mm. Others kind of say, no, it was a sort of, it only lasted for a short time, so it's kind of a failure. Uh, I'm more on the sort of successful side of, uh, of that. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. You've got to think what sort of brand you are, how you are perceived by the, by the consumer then, and how you can make sure, if you're going for an unconventional colour scheme, how you can make it work. Um, you want to capture the attention, surely, but you really do need to worry that when the consumer gets that product home, uh, those misleading expectations or the change in the colour really can and often do change people's product experience. And we have companies coming to us saying, you know, all we did was change the colour of the pack. Um, we didn't change the formulation, but in consumer tests, people said it tasted different. What's going on? Are they crazy? Are they stupid? Hmm. Um, and I say, no, it makes perfect sense from a kind of psychology perspective. Let's say if it's a drink in a, in a can or a, a fragrance of an, of an underarm a, a deodorant, say, you change the color of the can. Uh, in both cases, the drink or the deodorant, all the consumer is the color of the can itself. And those colors immediately and automatically set expectations in our mind about what the contents will be, how intense and perhaps what, what fragrance or flavour those things are. And those expectations then really do anchor the consumer's tasting or smelling experience when the product comes out of pack. I've, I've always thought, you know, how easy life would be both for shoppers and marketers if everyone agreed on what colours represent. <laughs> so, you know, green equals health and, mm-hmm. and blue equals low calorie or, or you know, mm-hmm. what, whatever those, those colours might be. Um, but of course, you know, sometimes it pays to violate expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you cited some successes, but you also cited some failures mm-hmm. and, and it's risky. Um, but, but of course, enough of that leads to breakdowns in, uh, universal associations. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where you start to get those kind of category specific associations that get developed. And, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden everything's complicated. There's also kind of a, um, across category tension perhaps as well uh, sometimes there's a um, one might like to as a brand for your product acquire the attributes uh, and so you might take some of the conventions from a different category bring them into your own 
in order to almost kind of get the the free benefit of the association those colors or shapes or forms mean yes. for yourself um and so there's a lot of that kind of a cross-category um cannibalization whatever you call it yeah. coming along which again confuses you and i see that right now at the moment with people thinking about how to say in the food uh, and beverage category how to try and reduce sugar salt and fat and so on and there's a realizing well if we just do that consumers will complain and say what are you doing to our favorite brand put it back the way it was right stop messing with it but if they, they realize that in some cases if they change the design of the packaging and that can very often be through changing the visual design the color and other visual attributes they can they can almost offset reduction in actual sugar by making the package look sweeter and hopefully get into a situation where the consumer detects no difference in the product and yet it's a little bit less uh, unhealthy and to do that effectively you almost want to hijack the conventional meaning of color uh, for your own purposes sometimes right 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 you touched on the the color or the influence that color can have on expectations of taste and flavor. Mm -hmm. Now, to be clear, color choice is not just about red versus green, for example, but, mm -hmm. but it's also the influences about the nuances of color, like hue and saturation and brightness, right? Uh, correct. So, um, uh, one can, uh, and the vision scientists, uh, would very often nearly always in fact break, uh, uh, color down into three dimensions. Uh, one would be the hue, which would be the red, the green, the blue, the kind of color names that we normally ascribe uh, to that which we see. But then one can also think about saturation and uh, brightness or lightness. Um, so in terms of how much black or white there is in the thing you're seeing, the colored uh, uh, surface or, or object or, or light source, but then also how, how much of the color is in it, how saturated. Again, and so in some of our own work, we've gone, we've given people a hand-washing solution in a plastic opaque um, container, and we have added, well, um, increased the saturation going from sort of a white package through a light pink through a fully saturated red package. And we've had people in the lab, I should say, come in, they unscrew the lid of, of these different um, hand-washing solutions, sniff the contents, and then have to rate how efficacious, effective they think this product would be in cleaning their hands. And what turns out is that as we increase the saturation uh, of the color of the packaging, people's perception of the intensity of the fragrance goes up. Mm. And that's what they use to drive their decisions about uh, efficacy. So in food and drink and in fragrance and deodorants, time and time again, you see this, uh, the more intense or the more saturated the color, uh, that seems to be, goes with more yeah, intense sensation, be it a smell, a taste. And maybe that is a kind of universal. So why the meaning of hue, red, green, or blue, can vary by aisle, category, or culture. Perhaps the meaning of sort of the saturation is maybe a universal, but there are very few cases where a very brightly uh, and saturated color is used in packaging for something that has less sensory delivery, less smell, less taste, uh, less texture uh, than the other products. I, I think embedded in what you're saying is that there is no uh, chart that exists today that shows the um, associative and cultural and physiological um, relationship with different colors. That's, that's right. Um, and I think even if we made a chart, even if I went back to Oxford and made a chart today uh, for you or for whoever was, was interested in it, it would happily a short and narrow 
uh, relevance, uh, right. by which I mean that you know the meaning of colour is not static over the time; it changes over the decades. Just mm. think back to the 1970s and 80s when the avocado and chocolate bathrooms were so popular. No one would use that today. What was going on? It's going to change in the meaning of colour, and we're sort of tracing back when exactly did orange become associated with cheapness? Mm. Uh, it wasn't always so. When did black become premium? It wasn't always so. Um, so there's a historical element and there's also this kind of cultural or context element, meaning that if I find in Oxford, uh, people associate red with this, it doesn't mean that's the same is true in Japan or somewhere else. So my advice is always really to say, read or, or find out about what's been done previously, the factors in packaging color, uh, what might influence the consumer and how, but then it's so cheap these days to do one's own research. Why wouldn't you in your category, in your context, in your market, um, go with that knowledge in hand and say, okay, does it also work for us in our sector? You talked a little bit ago about the use of color to set certain product expectations about taste and fragrance. Um, can you expect those expectations, um, color-influenced expectations, mm -hmm. to carry over and influence the actual product experience itself? Uh, absolutely. Not always, but sometimes. And maybe it depends either on the product or, or, or on the way the consumer interacts with the product and pack. So, um, I mean, go back to the 1930s, one of my sort of favorite examples is, is from uh, Louis Cheskin uh, in the early days of sort of uh, Madison Avenue's marketing magician, mm -hmm. adding the, the color to the 7-Up and, and consumers saying it changes the taste. You see it with um, uh, Coke in 2011, adding the white Christmas can, people saying it changes the taste. No one quite believed it, but we've been studying it time and again. We, we changed the color of the potato chip packet. We changed the color of the can. We changed the color of the label on your beer. We changed the color of, you know, wherever we can. Um, and time and time again, it does change the expectations you have before you taste or smell that product. And thereafter, very often, when you come to taste or smell a product, it actually tastes or smells different to you. Mm -hmm. It's not possible to, I think, take um, by, by packaging color to take something that smelled horrible a moment ago and make <laughs> it smell beautiful. But what you can do is nudge people, you know, five or 10 or 15% one direction or another. Um, I, 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 and it is these companies who come to us and say, we changed our packaging to stand out on the shelf. And then we run into these problems with consumers being irrational because they say the product has changed and we know it hasn't. So what's going on? Um, and we come in and say, demonstrate the influence of, of the packaging color on, on product perception. Uh, done it in many categories and many times now, so we're really convinced of it. Um, there are exceptions, of course. Um, our colleague Deborah Zellner over in the States has just been looking at candy wrappers. And there she finds that while... If she gives you a candy in a different colored wrapper, you will have different expectations about what it's going to taste like. When you actually taste the candy, the wrapper doesn't influence you. So maybe sometimes the consumer, there are some situations which we see color and think it has a meaning. Somebody's trying to communicate with us. Right. There are other situations when we see color, like the color of my, of my hotel room walls now, and I don't think anyone's trying to communicate with me uh, in quite the same way, so I kind of ignore it. So it might be partly about, do you think or does the consumer think that that use of color is informative? Mostly yes, but sometimes it's just there for variety or fun or something else. And the other way, the thing that might be important is to think about, um, I sort of wondered initially whether the fact that these early reports that packaging color changes, changed product experience, taste experience uh, from the 7-Up and, uh, and Coke say, was that because people were drinking direct from the can? So if you can't see the product, 
does the packet the color of the packaging have more influence because that's all you've got to go on whereas for other products where you see the package yes but then you pour or, or, or extract the product from the pack mm-hmm. and then you can see the product the product color itself does the packaging then become irrelevant investigating just how much of an impact that um, product impact product consumed next to pack product consumed a long time after you've forgotten what the packaging was how much that um, influences uh, its influence so I, I wanted to ask a question that relates to that um, for a couple of years I worked in the shelf stable juice category and learned then the the importance of color as a navigational aid um, mm-hmm. you know that when people are looking for grape juice they look for the color purple right when mm-hmm. they're looking for tomato mm-hmm. juice they're looking for the color red and and, and, and in most uh, containers in, in the shelf stable juice category. There is a label, but there's also a transparent bottle on, on which that label is placed. And so, mm-hmm. what you have now is is often two uh, two different colors. You've got the color of the product, and you've mm-hmm. got the the dominant color on the label. Um, in in that situation, um, will the color on the label still influence the uh, the experience of the product? Um- it will certainly uh, affect the expectations, um, and it uh, it can also affect the experience. For, so, for example, um, we've done work on uh, beer, uh, which we changed the colour of the label up in Scotland, um, and had a greeny yellow label trying to bring out the citrus notes in a beer, uh, which it, even when you were tasting the beer from a plastic cup, still the, the colour of the label uh, affected your judgments. Um, so that can happen there. But I think it's also what was, was particularly interesting to me then when you have either a transparent window in a package or a, a transparent package with a, with a label on it, that then you have not only, as you say, the color of the product, the color of the colors in the label, but also the interaction between the two. And that's where I think it's got interesting because I see some brands who say, I've seen it in the, in the pasta category, a lot of the best colors have been taken, so they go for a new color. And while that is a distinctive color in the category, the real danger is it, it, it makes the product itself, when seen against that background or label, uh, look really pale and, and insipid. Mm-hmm. Contrast that with you know, the, the best examples of, of um, something like Barilla Pasta over in Italy, with a strong blue of the packaging really makes the yellow of the pasta really almost glow golden. A beautiful use of color contrast. Think about the um, Cadbury's Dairy Milk, that purple color again, bringing out the color of the product itself, the brown chocolate or Heinz, uh, you hear kind of the, the baked beans again, that kind of greeny blue turquoise of, of the distinctive signature uh, packaging color, again, perhaps chosen intentionally to make the product look to its best. So I think it's a really interesting area. Some have done it intuitively over the years, but now we can also scientifically um, uh, study this to optimize that the packaging color and to tell some people, like um, if I think of something like Jacob's Cream Crackers, they've got a distinctive kind of orange and black label, but the the cracker itself is kind of orangey, whitey, brown. And for them, I say, well, I don't know what you're going to do. So if you put a transparent window, I think your product will look really pale against your signature packaging color. So some other solution is perhaps required. So I, I want to um, I want to ask a a, a 
follow-up question on the five roles that packaging can play. Um, again, it can it can have attention in store. It can communicate branding. It can convey sensory properties. It can prime abstract brand attributes, and it can affect how consumers experience products. So, you know, really uh, important um, outcomes or influences that color can play. I'm wondering, um, in your experience, can a single color choice do all of these things for you, or do marketers really need to choose? And, and maybe that's a function of of the product and where it is in a life cycle or, or what behavior mm -hmm. you're trying to influence at different points in the consumer journey. Um, mm -hmm. how, how, how best to think about that? Yeah. So, um, I guess I, I would like to imagine that in some cases it is possible to pick a uh, packaging color that can play all those roles. Um, but I suspect more often than not, if you're already going into a well-established category um, or have a well-established brand color, then th there could be more limited room uh, to play. Um, so maybe you have to pick what are the key moments of experience um, or, or, or say almost, yes, we will go for this bizarre color for our packaging because we know it will stand out on the very competitive shelf for, right. for for this brand but we realize that when consumers get it home they may be confused so we have to do something else <laughs> so so do we then put a picture i see some putting the user uh, an unusual color for the packaging but then they make sure to put a picture of the product itself on the front of the pack mm. so maybe I, I go for you know purple for my orange juice it stands out among the orange juices but i make sure there's an orange right there on the front of the pack so you can know what it really is hopefully um, or think about different layers of packaging, or think about you know the the, the, the outer and inner surfaces and inner and outer packaging, and uh, maybe there are um, uh, ways uh, to try and win or optimize, if not at all five levels, at least at uh, a couple rather than just one. Yeah. So so you know to this point we've been talking about the effect of single colors. What if we're using multiple colors on mm -hmm. our packaging? Does that does that create interference or can we use multiple colors to accomplish multiple objectives? Yep. Uh, for me, this is kind of one of the things where um, I really sort of, I sort of criticize uh, my own field in a, in a way, <laughs> the kind of the laboratory studies of packaging design that to date have mostly only used a single color on, on packaging. It's been more or less realistic. And you look down the supermarket aisle and you say, that's not how it is mostly. Most packages out there, commercially successful ones, use multiple uh, colors uh, in their packaging labels and so on. Um, but of course, as soon as you start to combine colors, uh, either side by side or foreground, background, product, mm -hmm. and combined with packaging, then it kind of, it's kind of a combinatorial explosion. There are so many possibilities. Where are we going to start? How mm -hmm. can we explore the whole of the space? So maybe that's kind of puts, puts the scientific off in a way because there's too much to study. And nevertheless, people are starting in that area. We've been working, say, uh, we think about basic tastes uh, if i was designing a packaging for a product that was going to be predominantly sweet salty sour or bitter what color would the scientist recommend would, would would convey most effectively that taste attribute we can find the best color for you know for for um for sour it'd be yellowy green for sweet it's gonna be pinky red for bitter browny black and for salty whitey white and blue so we know the best color for each taste and now we started to say okay if we if we have two colors or three colors, can we find a combination that is even more effective than the best individual color? 
And the answer is that we can, but that you almost have to um, help the consumer or our lab rats in our experiments by, um, if you put two colours side by side with equal weighting, then, then our subjects don't know which is the most important one. Right. If I put one colour in front of another, one colour is foreground, one is background, a small square of, of white in front of a big square of blue, suddenly the consumer finds it much easier to interpret and hence, in those situations uh, where the colours are almost ordered in importance in some way or, or prioritised, then you can use uh, pairs and triplets of colours now to connote tastes, to connote flavours, and to do so in a way that can work cross-culturally. So we've been working on perfume label design, for example, a fragrance design, uh, and saying we, we realise that the French and the English, say, uh, have slightly different associations between cucumber aroma and colours. Uh, so we can't find one, any single hue that would be perfect for both the French and the English. But if we have three colours to play with in a palette, then we can construct something that is interpretable by both groups at a very high level. So this is an emerging field. Um, it's where the science is slowly catching up. There's a lot of complexity there in terms of the number of, uh, of variations. But I think we have to, we have to hand, try and get a grip on that in order to, to bridge from the science uh, lab to, to the marketplace. So with everything that you're saying, obviously color can play a very, very important strategic role. Um, and, and in fact, multiple strategic roles. And, and so the importance of getting it right um, is important because the risk of getting it wrong um, can be you know, disastrous. Um, and so let's say you've, you've done your research. Uh, so now you've got the perfect color, which conveys um, you know, the, the perfect uh, meaning um, and, mm -hmm. and it gets attention in store and it sets expectations and all those wonderful things. And, and, and you've done all of your research to, to, to identify the colors or color combinations and mm -hmm. validate that, in fact, this works. Mm -hmm. But now you have a color that you will now introduce a logo and product imagery and benefit statements and other, other things mm -hmm. on the color. Mm -hmm. um, what does that do to the color? Do you now have to kind of go back and, and validate that your color is still doing its role or, or, or does, does it become a whole new game? Um, so I think that is where I see people are now taking uh, genuine examples of successful store packaging from various categories and starting to play systematically with the colour scheme. Um, I think with it, with a hope that to some degree you don't have to start from scratch again mm. when you um, I think clearly there must be some sorts of interactions there. Um, but uh, so far, from a couple of examples I've seen recently from kind of uh, work that Unilever has been funding over in the Netherlands, a couple of beautiful papers showing that uh, you can take insights from studies of the abstract use of color on packaging with no label, no logo, no brand name, no typeface, no nutritional information, say, and predict what will happen on a real store pack when you use those, introduce those colors. So, in that, there are some examples, at least, where it's clear that it can work. Um, but again, I think you have to be careful um, and think about how these various elements, do they harmonize? So not just about the meaning of the individual color components, but the overall impression. And then, of course, as soon as uh, you, you come up with a successful solution, there'll be the copycat. <laughs> Copycats <laughs> coming along. And maybe that maybe the whole you know the whole um, statistics of your aisle of the color schemes used may start to change. So maybe you have to adapt in some way to 
the ever-changing um, background against which your, your product never stands there. In isolation, it's always kind of competition with what else is out there. So you need to be aware of that. And then also maybe think um, uh, what happens as an increasing amount of our purchasing goes online. Mm. How is that going to change the meaning and the use of color and the packaging design for a, diff a very different kind of interaction? Great point. And, and, you know, of course, if you're a global brand, things get even exponentially more complicated on, on this area. So I, I'm curious, Charles, I, I know we need to, um, you have, you have other things to get to, uh, when doing this work, what learning or discovery was most interesting to you? Hmm. Um, I think that um, I mean the, the one that sort of fascinates me is this this kind of um, this kind of color contrast, or trying to find this you know these sort of sweet spots of, mm. of, of distinctive colors that also bring out the best in in the product as more and more uh, categories uh, go for transparent windows in, in their packaging design. Yeah, uh, I think it's probably maybe the most striking to me really in the first place was to demonstrate that. When you change the color of the packaging, it really does change the taste of crisps, of soft drinks, of mouthwash. In a way, I was read about it, and I sort of knew it ought to be true, but I think none of us can really believe mm. that simply by changing the color of the outer packaging, it really would change people's experience. And time and again, we find that it does, and that's been, uh, yeah, a really sort of pleasant surprise, I say, um, and one that we're still building on, working on, and trying to share with those companies that we, we, we talk to. Yeah, cl clearly a lot to be learned here. And, and for those of us who want to learn more about how color influences our decisions, are there any papers or books that you might recommend? I mean, yes, there is no chart, <laughs> uh, one-stop <laughs> shop out there, but just to help us kind of appreciate um, you know, there's some of, the, um, some of the, the do's and don'ts, if you will, or just to immerse ourselves in, in more of the complexity. Um, well, I have to say, there's probably nothing I could think of better than the review paper with which we started, which came out in uh, Food Quality and Preference, I think, two months ago. And that was really our attempt to, you know, to look at everything we could find out there, uh, both recent and historical, both Western and kind of cross-culturally uh, based, and trying to sort of summarise the state of the art and some of the outstanding questions and, uh, and some of the issues that anybody who is thinking uh, from a marketing perspective about the use of color or from the packaging design perspective might want to think about uh, and some maybe clues as to, as to where to go. Terrific. Now, I know you have to go, speaking of go. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we close? Anything that we didn't talk about that, that we should have? Um, no, I think that's good. All right, <laughs> good terrific. All day, but... <laughs> no, we, we absolutely could. I appreciate it. It was it was a very dense paper. I appreciate it. Again, it was it's the on the multiple effects of packaging color on consumer behavior and product experience in the food and beverage and home and personal care categories. Um, thank you, Charles. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and learning more about your work. Um, and best of luck with the Book of Year Award on gastrophysics. All right, have a great day. Thanks again. Thanks. Bye. Right, bye bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Decision Breakers for making today's episode possible. We'll see you next time on Shoppernomics.